From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Friday, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Washington Watch. And we're wrapping up the week just as we started it on the road today. We're once again in Georgia broadcasting from the Grove Church in Maysville, Georgia. And our thanks once again to Pastor Jeff Appling and his team here at the Grove. Great folks uh, to work with. We had a great pastor's briefing here yesterday and wrapping up our time here today and uh, heading home. Well, coming up on this Friday edition... We need the federal government to be involved. So I've asked um, for the deployment of the Guard, as long as we need the Guard to deal with the humanitarian crisis, that we expect to escalate. The number of people crossing the border seeking asylum, we expect to only go up. Uh, And we need to make sure that there is a national response. That was the D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Now, Bowser's comments, along with the comments of New York City Mayor Eric Adams, reveal that these so-called sanctuary cities, well, they don't like what the left's immigration policies are actually producing. Our system is was inundated uh, with, uh, you know, those who were seeking shelter because of the callousness of those uh, other states that pushed them out. We're here, we're receiving them, and uh, everyone is going to have to be on on board. Oh, that's so nice. Uh, We'll talk with Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton a little bit uh, later. And do you remember the uh, schoolyard bullies that would threaten smaller kids, demanding they hand over their lunch money? Well, this is a picture of President Biden and his administration and what they're doing. They're threatening to take lunches away from Close to 30 million needy children. Why? Well, we're going to talk about it with the Alabama Attorney General, Steve Marshall, who, along with about 20 other state attorneys generals, have sued the Biden administration over their effort to steal children's lunches. Also, state attorneys generals are addressing this emergency. So let me be clear. Climate change is an emergency. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to use the power I have as president to turn these words into formal, official government actions. When it comes to fighting for climate change, climate change, I will not take no for an answer. Well, what might this emergency cost you? Quite a bit. We're going to talk about it. And yesterday, a federal judge stopped the U.S. Air Force from enforcing COVID-19 shot mandates against active duty, reserve, National Guard, and Air Force Academy cadets, as well as those in the Space Force Command. We'll get the details from one of the attorneys in the case, Chris Wiest. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And finally, what are Americans really concerned about? Well, data shows it's clearly not what the Biden administration is focused on. We'll talk with pollster George Barna, who's also a senior fellow at the Family Research Council Center for Biblical Worldview, about a survey that has just been conducted of American citizens. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. I encourage you to visit it and make use of everything on the site, as well as visit WashingtonStand.com. It is the site where you can find news and commentary from a biblical perspective. And speaking of the Bible, our word for today, coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in Psalm 78. It's verses 41 and 42. Yes, again and again, they tempted, did not believe God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. See, the failure to trust in the power of God and take him at his word 
But you know what that does? It keeps us from seeing the power of God at work. You know, Jesus made this very clear over in Matthew chapter 13. He said, it, it reads as follows, as now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. We need to trust and believe in the power of God. What he did yesterday, he can do today. To join us in our journey through the Bible, visit frc.org slash Bible. You can also join me for a daily devotional each morning based upon the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan. You can join us at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page at 844 a.m. Monday through Friday. Earlier this week, actually on Tuesday, more than 20 Republican state attorneys general filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration for threatening to withhold federal nutritional assistance from schools and programs that do not embrace the left's radical gender ideology. Yes, I know it's hard to believe, but the Biden administration is literally threatening to take away lunch money from the neediest school children if schools do not get in line with their demand that boys be able to go into girls' locker rooms and showers, among other things. Here to talk with me about this is one of the state attorneys generals who is challenging the Biden administration on this, the Attorney General of Alabama, Steve Marshall. Steve, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. By the way, I loved your analogy of the Biden administration as a schoolyard bully because that's exactly what's going on here. They are holding children hostage in an effort to be able to enforce this radical agenda, and we're going to push back and make sure that doesn't happen. What does this tell you about their priorities? Well, it's clearly misplaced. I mean, we want to be able to withhold valid and appropriate nutrition from the children of hardworking, low-income families. Also, they can, uh, for example, in Alabama, cause us to set aside a law that was appropriately adopted to make sure that boys participate in boys' sports and girls participate in girls' sports. And yet we continue to see multiple efforts at the federal level uh, to impose through improper rulemaking when Congress clearly won't do it, uh, an effort to enforce this radical gender ideology that clearly is not embraced by a majority of Americans. So, so General, there's two issues here. One is the, the, the substance of what they're trying to do. But the second is what you just pointed out. And I want to make sure people understand this. There is a way that you go about this. There is a rulemaking procedure that allows states to have input and other affected parties to have input. They're circumventing the process, are they not? Absolutely, they're circumventing the process. I mean, there's the appropriate purpose when an agency wants to act to be able to publish those rules for public consideration as well as comment before anything is officially adopted. But what we see here is just a continuation of what we saw occur during the Obama administration, is that when the executive branch of leftist ideology can't accomplish what they want to through the appropriate processes, they intend to circumvent that to be able to push forward using federal dollars as the mechanism to try to enforce their beliefs and their policies on states otherwise would reject it. So, General Marshall, isn't this kind of lawlessness? I mean, isn't that what this is, doing what you want to do, regardless of what the procedures and law requires? Oh, it isn't just kind of lawlessness. It is absolutely lawlessness. And they fail to abide by the structure that we've established both through our laws as well as through our Constitution. You know, the wonderful thing about sitting in the role of attorney general is that you have the opportunity to be the watchdog of the federal government, to be able to ensure that they comply 
with not only the statutory obligations that are applicable to the executive branch, uh, but also that they are consistent with the parameters of the Constitution. On multiple fronts during this administration, we've seen opportunities for us to be able to weigh in and to be able to push back and have been successful. And we will be in this case, as we have been in many others thus far. Yeah, I I just want to echo that fact, because from my vantage point, I've watched that, especially in the Biden administration, just in the, you know, almost two years that they've been here, how if it were not for the attorneys generals at the state holding this administration accountable, there would be no accountability. I mean, you guys have done a tremendous job. And as you pointed out, in almost every case, you've been successful because you're standing on the side of the law. We absolutely are. And Tony, we not only see it as it relates to this administration, but also the efforts of those to coerce woke corporations in fostering this agenda. You may have seen this week uh, that we made a very clear statement uh, against Google when we see uh, our colleagues on the left uh, that are attempting to intimidate Google as it relates to the ability to search and find valid information involving our pregnancy centers that are doing remarkable work around the country. You know, this is a multi-pronged front, and it's one that I'm proud to be able to stand with my Republican colleagues across the country and being able to fight back. Yeah, explain that for just a moment to our, our viewers and listeners, what Google was doing and what the attorneys generals are doing. Well, we hope that Google isn't doing it. But what we did see, for example, the attorney general from New York calling upon Google to limit or censor the searches that individuals would have looking for pregnancy centers and information available to pregnancy centers. I mean, these are groups across the country that are serving almost two million uh, women that have provided uh, over two hundred and fifty million dollars in services, both medical and counseling and then product to individuals, and yet those on the left who are not happy about the Dobbs decision, what we've talked about before, are trying to limit the ability of these nonprofits who are working in a, in a remarkable way to be able to impact lives and families. Uh, they want Google and others to, to be able to uh, limit the ability of individuals to be, obtain information about those uh, needed services. And so uh, we've made it very clear this week that uh, to the extent that Google adopts that philosophy, uh, we will use every mechanism available to us to be able to push back against it. I mean, that is certainly not a stretch when you look at what social media has done in silencing the viewpoints that they disagree with. And so oh, it would right. only follow that, you know, the pro-abortion crowd not wanting any competition uh, from these charitable organizations that are truly doing ministry and not using government money or taking government money, they want them out of the way. And so it uh, it certainly would not be beyond the reach, I think, of Google and other social media giants to do just that. Yeah, and we're going to continue to be vigilant in that. And all they're doing is hurting, again, almost 2 million people that last year alone uh, received needed services from these wonderful organizations. And again, organizations, many of which are faith-based, that are stepping up to provide a void that exists uh, in communities across our country. You know, they are doing remarkable work, and, and clearly we've seen some of the uh, the, the, the lashing out of the left against these organizations post-Dobbs. But I'm proud of the strength of these organizations and what they do for women across our country. And again, General Marshall, just grateful for the fact that we have these AGs at the state level that are doing this work to uh, really 
protect those that are wanting to do the ministry, but also uh, to uphold the law. Now, I want to go back. We just got a minute or so left. I want to go back to the, the top story we were talking about. H- how does the Biden administration propose to, to take this lunch funding? What's the vehicle they're using to take this away from schools? I mean, is that vehicle we talked about before, which is the power of the purse? Uh, you know, to some extent, I think it's a broader issue to discuss one day is the use of federal dollars to remove and limit state sovereignty. Here, the federal government acting as that bully on the schoolyard is saying, if you don't do what we're saying, we're going to remove these needed funds that will impact children in an adverse way. And so, again, we think they've gone through an absolutely uh, improper process and a lawful process in trying to eventually adopt this rule. And I have every confidence that just like we were recently with the lead of the state of Tennessee, uh, that we'll be successful here again and pushing back against a rule that would impact what's going on in our schools. All right. Well, again, uh, General Marshall, grateful for you and your Republican colleagues that are out there uh, fighting to uphold the law and make sure that the federal government stays within its proper boundaries. Uh, Good to see you again. You too. Thank you, Tony. All right. Have a great weekend. This is, uh, you know, it hasn't been this way historically, but these uh, state attorneys general uh, are critical to the to checks and balances. You know, when especially when you've got a regime, Democratic regime or any, I mean, you know, it could be all Republican. I mean, I think checks and balances, having Congress checking the executive branch, so on. Uh, is helpful. Right now, you've got an administration, Democratic administration, Democratic-controlled Congress that is just pushing through everything. And uh, fortunately, these attorneys general are uh, standing up to it. All right, don't go away. When we come back, good news out of the federal courts yesterday. A federal judge in Ohio has said, whoa, wait a minute, on the U.S. Air Force imposing the COVID-19 mandate. We're going to talk about that next with one of the attorneys involved in it. So don't go away. We're back after this. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday. As I mentioned, we're still on the road, wrapping up the week in Maysville, Georgia, at the Grove Church, and uh, headed home after this. Some good news. Some good news. A federal judge has stopped the U.S. Air Force from taking any punitive action against members of the Air Force and the Space Force who are seeking religious exemptions for their COVID-19 shot mandate. Now, to date, the Air Force has systematically denied over 6,800 requests for religious accommodations. I've actually talked to a um, a JAG in the Air Force who says that even though they're approved at the lower levels, they're just being uniformly put aside. They've only granted out of that 6,800, 135 requests, all which were for members at the end of their careers. Oh, how nice. Um, or they were otherwise eligible for an administration exemption. Now, Air Force leaders have argued that the vaccinations are an important component of fitness and military readiness. Really? Um, I, I think with each passing day, that their case is getting weaker. I mean, you see all these people, including the president himself, who's, I don't know how many, he, he's had so many jabs, he looks like a pincushion. Uh, but yet he got COVID. Joining me now to discuss this is the attorney at uh, law, Chris Wiest, who is uh, one of the lawyers representing the Air Force service members in this case uh, that uh, has successfully gained an injunction against actions taken against these members. Chris, uh, welcome to Washington Watch. And by the way, congratulations on this uh, preliminary injunction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And this was the latest chapter. I think, you know, back in March, we got a preliminary injunction for the initial 18 named plaintiffs. And then we sought class certification, which the judge granted and now has extended to basically the entire air and space force as well as the air national guard. And I think, you know, you've hit it on the nose. Uh, there's been systemic denials of these exemptions for religious reasons. And there's been a value judgment by air force leaders that the religious reasons simply aren't as important as other reasons. And I think the discrimination is an important part of the case. And in fact, I would argue, you know, it's central to the, to the case and, and the claims that we brought under the religious freedom restoration act 
While the Air Force has denied thousands of religious exemptions, they have granted thousands of medical and administrative exemptions. And in fact, it's interesting, their documentation, for instance, suggests that there's no reason why pregnant women should not get the vaccine, and yet they routinely have granted medical exemptions for pregnant women. They've granted, you know, medical exemptions for all kinds of reasons. They've granted administrative exemptions for the end of the service folks, and there's other administrative reasons why they've granted these exemptions as well. And so, you know, they come into court arguing, oh, my gosh, we need this. It's absolutely critical. And we say, well, okay, if that's true, why are you granting thousands of uh, administrative and medical exemptions, and they never had a good answer for that. So, you know, it is a religious discrimination case, and that's how we've litigated it. And it's, you know, and again, I mentioned this at the beginning. Obviously, I'm not going to give names or anything or where I'm talking to people, but in talking with uh, an Air Force JAG officer who has been a part of uh, these pa- processing these packages, what, what's so I think callous about this is that the service members in good faith go through the process. They go to the chaplain, they fill out all the paperwork, they do all of this. And it's almost as if when it gets to the higher command, they just drop it in the trash can, don't even read it. Even though in good faith, they've gone through this process to make their claim for this religious exemption. And you're right. I think this is outright blatant religious hostility. It it is, and you know, you you say um, you think they do. We know they do. Um, we have evidence, and we've got a whistleblower that says that there was a um, Air Force wide meeting with the general officers that have been processing these back in, I believe, October of 2021, out at the U.S. Air Force Academy, the Corona Conference, not Corona like COVID, but the, it's an annual military leadership conference for the Air Force. And we we have evidence that suggests there was a directive given that they simply would not approve these exemptions at that meeting uh, for religious reasons. And it is hostility. And, you know, if you look at the denial letters, they are form letters. Um, There is no individualized consideration. The government, you know, argues in court that there's individualized consideration. But, you know, you can pierce through that by looking at the similarities in these letters and how they've been processed. And, And, you know, here's the interesting thing. You know, we've had some of these plaintiffs go up um, and and have their processes reviewed. And they're suggesting, well, you know, there's no reason why we can't grant it now. But five years from now, he might be in a duty where he might need to deploy. And, you know, they're denying them. And and I would add one other piece of really interesting information. Uh, One of our plaintiffs, in addition to having religious beliefs, also became pregnant and um and, and uh, you know, she doesn't mind us sharing her name. So it is, you, it, it is it is a woman, right? It is a woman. Uh, okay, you I just know, want to make and, sure and, that, that just women can get pregnant still. I just want to make sure. I, I, I think that's right. I don't think, you know, okay. if, if you All define right. as one, right. Yeah, so, okay. so right. I think um, she gets pregnant, and so they grant her a medical exemption and deny her a religious exemption. Well, there's no, different in her duty, there's no difference in her duties and what she's doing in any aspect of her performance. And yet it is clear there is a value judgment made on her pregnancy. We're going to grant you an exemption for that. But your religious beliefs? Ha, huh, no way. I mean, you know, that gets denied. And so, it, you know, it it is blatant religious discrimination. It is systemic. Um, and it runs, frankly, all the way up to the Secretary of the Air Force. It may run up higher than that. And, you know, we've we've proven a lot of that to date to get to where we are in this case. 
Chris, I would have to imagine that the same thing is happening in other branches of service because we see the same denials and we see, you know, the the forcing out of these members of the different branches of the mm-hmm. service. I would. Are you getting a lot of knocks at your doors from uh, other service members? So we are, and there's a working group among, you know, liberty-minded, religious-minded uh, attorneys. There's a working group, you know, with the folks at Liberty Council, with the folks at First Liberty down in Texas. Um, First Liberty got a Navy-wide preliminary injunction class action also um, about three months ago. So the Navy's covered. Now the Air right. Force and Space Force is covered. Um, the Liberty Council folks are, are in uh, Florida right now trying to get a Marine Corps-wide class action. Um, you know, the federal judges have sort of suggested that because each branch processes these a little differently, even though they're all systemically denying them, that it would not be appropriate to grant a DOD-wide class. And so we've, you know, there's a working group of attorneys. We're on an email list, and, you know, we're trying to work together to cover the entirety of the DOD. Well, Chris, let me just say this in, in, in all sincerity. Thank God for attorneys like you and others that are defending the religious freedoms of those men and women who are defending our freedoms. We're grateful for you, and and thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tony. All right. Uh, Really, folks, so thankful for our friends at First Liberty, Liberty Council, ADF, and others who are fighting for our religious freedom. But here's the key. You've got to be willing to stand up as well. And I'm not just talking about members in the military. I'm talking about all of us. All right, stick around. More Washington Watch still to come. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Friday. Now, mark your calendars. In fact, uh, do more than mark your calendars. Go ahead and register. This year's Pray Vote Stand Summit will be at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, September the 14th through the 16th. Seating's limited, and it's starting to fill up, so I encourage you visit prayvotestand.org slash summit. And uh, go ahead and register. All right. New York City's mayor has been calling the leaders of Texas and other border states cowards and calloused for sending illegal illegal migrants to New York and D.C. Our country is home of the free land of the brave. We do not be cow- become cowards and send people away that are looking looking for help. All of us came from somewhere, even from Texas. They came from somewhere. And so they should not have sent people away that were seeking refuge. It's kind of funny that uh, the mayor of New York, mayor of D.C., looking for federal help uh, to deal with the left's immigration policy. Well, here now to talk about this and more is one of the leading uh, states that is pushing back, and that is the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Uh, Ken, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. All right, so you've got the mayor of New York and the mayor of the District of Columbia complaining because uh, you're uh, bussing up uh, the illegal immigrants that are coming across the border that they say they're all for. You know, it's 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 almost laughable if it weren't so serious for our state. They are they are experiencing a tiny, tiny fraction of the problem, and they're complaining about the cost. They have no sympathy for the fact that our border is being overrun in Texas and Arizona and other states along the border have a much more serious problem, not just with dealing with the cost of the people, but dealing with drugs, dealing with crime, dealing with uh, just the the resources that it takes to try to to handle the situation. And it's just it's just so ironic and so hypocritical that they are complaining about their tiny little problems. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of put this in perspective because uh, in New York City, they've recently received about 2,800 individuals that have come or been sent up to to New York, given transportation up to New York. That's a tiny fraction of what some of these small cities along the border and towns are experiencing from those coming across the border illegally. We probably in Texas receive as many a day. So since Biden's been in office, as they've received the entire time. So their 2,800 number is laughable in comparison to the numbers that we are dealing with. You're right. Some of these little tiny towns, like, literally have 36,000 people in them, or 30,000 people are, are experiencing that many in a day. So it's hard to be very sympathetic, and it's interesting that they have no sympathy for our problems and have been very critical of us and how we're dealing with it. Well, I, I actually think this is illustrating the significance of the problem, because when you have the mayor of D.C. whining about needing federal resources and calling out the National Guard simply to deal with a few busloads of migrants that have come up to D.C. Uh, from border states, it does speak to how significant this problem is. And maybe I'm not overly optimistic, but maybe maybe the federal government might respond. I wish that were true, but they seem to respond only to these states that are complaining, like the Democratic states, who have a very minor problem. They don't. They, if, if they wanted to stop this or if they wanted to deal with this, they would actually. The Biden administration would actually follow the law 
just like Trump did, and the results would be similar to what Trump had as opposed to what they what we're getting now. So my view of this is this is exactly what they want. They just don't want it inconveniencing some of their party leaders, some of their Democratic leaders. They only want it to affect Republican states. But I, I do think, General Paxton, that as this, in fact, you see the mayor of New York, you know, pleading with, hey, this is going to affect your block and your neighborhood. We, we've got to be good citizens. We've got to embrace those that are coming here. I actually think when this starts to affect the average American like they are, like like the Texans are being affected, like those in Arizona that are being affected, I, I believe at that point, even the, the Democratic base will begin to demand that this administration and the Democratic regime do something. You know what? I really hope you're right. It just has been so incredibly frustrating to see the, the, the incredible consequences to my state and other states along the border, and yet no reaction from the White House other than to say we want more and tell the cartels, signal to the cartels, just bring as many as you can. It's fine if you bring them to the Yeah, I think we may have lost the attorney general. He's on the road there in Texas, probably going from uh, one uh, city to another. I, I actually think there could be, and this is, although I guess I could be wrong, because we were talking about earlier about what the Biden administration is doing to advance the LGBTQ agenda, even depriving depriving 30 million uh, potentially 30 million children from the nutritional programs. I mean, that um, it just shows how their their priorities are so mixed up and they're so committed to their leftist agenda that they will even I mean, they'll, they'll trample upon their own people. I mean, think about this. This is going to affect their core constituencies around the country. I mean, New York, D.C., I think it's a brilliant strategy on behalf of Texas and others to, to let the country see what is happening and let the Democratic Party's core constituency feel it and see it themselves firsthand. Now, I'm all for legal immigration, all right? But we have to have law in order, and that's not happening. All right, let's talk about what the American people are thinking about, what their priorities are, juxtaposed to what this administration is focused on. That's next. George Barna joins me. Don't go away. We're going to have a great discussion about a recent poll that he did, a survey that's not even been released yet. But we're going to talk about it here. So don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. So glad to have you with us on this Friday. As I mentioned, we are broadcasting once again from the road, just like we started the week. This, But we're in Georgia today, uh, wrapping up uh, here after, after we had our pastor's conference yesterday, Maysville, Georgia, at the Grove Church. Great church. And so uh, we're going to be packing up here shortly and heading home. But before we do that, one thing I need to leave you with this uh, week before we get into our next segment is I've been working, as we've talked about on this program, about this so-called Respect Marriage Act, which is literally a, a green flag to attack religious freedom. All right. That's what this is all about. And for those 47 Republicans, and I've heard from some of them who have heard from you, and I'm grateful for that. And please continue to call them and let them know that uh, they were wrong in supporting the court's redefinition of marriage, because we know what this will lead to. It's no longer theoretical. We've had seven years to see how the left wants to silence people of faith in this country. And if the if the Congress codifies into law what the court did, what the court created out of thin air, then we're only going to see the intensity of this attack and hostility on Orthodox Christian faith accelerate in this country. So I need you to do this. I've I've said, I've asked you to do this before, and if you've not done it, please do. Your senators need to hear from you. It's on the website, TonyPerkins.com, under Episode Resources. You click on Episode Resources, and you kind of get a menu that drops down, and one of them is Contact Your Senators about the marriage issue. We'll make it really easy for you. You just uh, email them, 
and be prepared. I think uh, based upon my conversation with senators and some of the things we're working on, this is going to be pushed into uh, the fall uh, because they now have this deal that uh, Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer have worked out to tax, raise taxes and fuel the Green Deal. So the marriage vote's going to probably be pushed past August. So during August, when you if you go to if your uh, senators, those who are in cycle will do this. Those who are not in cycle probably won't. What I mean in cycle, meaning they're running for re-election, uh, they'll have meetings, town hall meetings. Bring it up, bring it up. Ask them if they're uh, if if they are for attacking religious freedom and people who believe in the biblical definition of marriage. So anyway, please help me out on this. I need your help to hold these elected leaders accountable on this redefinition of marriage and this attack on religious freedom. Okay. Faith, family, and freedom. That's what we're all about. You know, the Family Research Council has stood for those values since uh, its inception almost 40 years ago. In fact, next year we'll be celebrating 40 years. And those values are resonating now more than ever with America. It's a new study of almost four thousand voters titled America's Values and Their Implications for Democracy. Now, day to day in our society, it's easy to see the, the sin and the godlessness all around us. But as Christians, we know that people are desperate and they're crying out for something more. And for most people, that begins with the family. And what encourages me about what we're about to talk about is that people want to go back to what works. And that's what we represent here. Joining me now to uh, discuss this is the man behind the research, our good friend George Barna. He's a senior research fellow here at the Family Research Council in our Center for Biblical Worldview. George, welcome back to the program. Good to see you, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. Before we dive in uh, to uh, some of the, the specifics of this research and what you found, tell us about your thinking behind this study and uh, why you found it necessary to embark upon it now. Well, we're trying to understand what's going to go on in the election cycle. We keep hearing about this big red wave. I'm not convinced that there is one. And so we wanted to have an understanding of on what basis are people going to make their voting choices. And the more we've looked at, the more we've come to understand that there's a shift that's taking place there. And that transition is away from simply thinking about issues and perhaps candidate background and personality to digging a little bit deeper and really going back to their core values. So we wanted to understand what are the core values of Americans today? You know, I've looked at values in American society over the course of American history from the colonial era up to today. And obviously, there have been huge changes. But with what's gone on, particularly in the last two or three years, with uh, the, the behavior of the government, the alleged pandemic, all of these kinds of things that have happened, it's changed the way that people are making some of their decisions. So we really wanted to understand on what basis do they make it. And that brought us to the place of we need to understand the values that drive the thinking of Americans. All right. So let's talk about some of those values. Um, and, and I want to pull one of the numbers from your uh, survey. Seventy two percent say they support traditional moral values. That's a pretty high number. 
a huge number. And for those of us in our camp, it's an encouraging number. Now, on the one hand, we did not define for them what, for instance, you and I might mean by traditional moral values. On the other hand, as people told us, yes, I support traditional moral values, and then we asked them, well, what values are most important to you? That, in essence, was their defining what those kind of values mean to them. And so I think we get a pretty good understanding that while they're not perfectly aligned with what we might find in the scriptures or what the conservative Christian base of America might say, well, here's the list of those, there is a lot of overlap, and to me that's encouraging. So what is informing, did you get into kind of what was informing those values, what was formulating those values for those that you talked to? There are a number of different things, I think, that are influencing that. One of those is their anger about what's going on in America today. You know, we discovered that uh, 73% of Americans, three out of every four, say that they are personally angry about the condition of the United States today. Uh, We found that six out of 10 of them believe that if we don't change the direction that the country is moving in five years from now, the country is going to be in even worse shape than it's in today. And they're already angry about that shape. And we found that that tells me that that tells me I'm not alone uh, because I'm I'm angry about the direction of this country. And I'm concerned about what the future holds if we don't change directions. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things that emerged, Tony, is that as we looked at this, we found that parents in particular are concerned because they're thinking about their children and what their children are going to experience in in the years and decades to come. And when we talked about the values that they embrace, we gave them a five-point scale, a Likert scale, where we describe what each point on the scale means. And, you know, we talked about things like, which values are you willing to die to protect? Which values are you willing to give up precious resources to preserve? And it's when you put those two particular responses together, which means that these people are willing to sacrifice a part of their life, if not their life, to ensure that, in particular, their children and future generations and America itself will be a place that they would want to live in. And then they define those kinds of values. So So, to us, it was an eye-opening study. So what were some of those ideas and principles people were willing to die for? I mean, was like the Green New Deal... Uh, was it collectivism? Were those the type of things they were willing to die for? Yeah, Green New Deal would not have been something that we looked at because that's a policy as opposed to a value. But when we looked at the values that they were espousing to us, family, far and away, number one on the list. And one of the most fascinating things about that is that we have 366 different subgroups in this body of data. It's a huge body of data, so we can slice and dice it in all kinds of ways. And as we did that, what we discovered is that it doesn't matter what group you're looking at, whether you're looking at uh, conservatives, moderates, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, men, women, uh, white, black, Asian, uh, Hispanic, young, old, doesn't matter where you go. Family is number one on the list across the board. So the important thing, I think, for us to understand about that, and there were a number of other things that we saw related to their views about the importance of family, is that 
today the lens that more and more Americans are using to understand the world and to respond to it is their family, which is important for the election and, and particularly important for candidates to understand and public officials to understand. Because what this means is that when we talk about an issue, say immigration, say taxation, I mean, pick your issue, it doesn't matter, health care costs, people are going to look at that issue through the lens of how does it affect my family? What does it do to the future of my children? How does it enable us as a family to continue to grow as individuals and grow together as a family pursuing the goals and objectives that we've set for ourselves as a unit? So that that was, I think, one of the most significant things to come out of the research. We also saw that values like happiness, that was second on the list. And then you had about two-thirds of Americans who said that they'd be willing to die for or to give up precious limited resources to protect uh, things such as their personal freedom and independence, such as justice, kindness, character, uh, trustworthiness, integrity, personal responsibility, uh, property ownership, you know, kind of a slap in the face to the Marxists. So right. you've, you've got all these kind of values that people are saying, this is what America really is. And remember, this is a group where two out of three of them, again, on a longer scale, they're saying they're either extremely or very proud to be Americans. And when we ask them, how do you think of yourselves? Tops on the list was I think of myself as an American citizen. And secondly, was I think of myself as a family person. This is the mindset that they're taking into life every day. And so we've got to recognize that these values are meant to feed into being a good citizen and being a good parent, good spouse, good child. You know, George, I, I find this amazing given the fact of the messaging that we've seen from the media, from Hollywood, that really runs counter to all of these values. So where is this coming from? Well, the, the values are coming from what people now have had two years to sit back while they've been at home. They've been in lockdown. They've been orchestrating their way through all the chaos and turbulence that's been handed to us by the government. And and so now they're saying, look, I've, I've had time to reflect on what really matters to me. I've had time to think about what am I really willing to put myself on the line for? And this is what they've come up with. Remember, we're also in the context of a nation that no longer believes they can trust any institution other than the family. And so they're saying, you know what, I get my information from the news media, but I know I can't trust them. The laws are dictated to me by the government, but I know I can't trust them. And so they're looking at all that and they're saying, okay, if I want the freedom to have this kind of responsibility to make my own choices in life. I've got to be willing to give up some things to maintain that freedom. And so to me, it's, it's really heartening to see that Americans are maybe now growing a backbone and yeah. saying, okay, now is the time to let the government know, no, you cannot do this to me. It's not right. That's not America. So could it also, George, be, as you said, you know, they've had a couple of years through the whole coronavirus and all the government overreach that pretty much everything has been shaken. I mean, look at the economy, uh, look at inflation, look at all of these. Everything we've kind of put our trust in has been shaken. And so is it that we're going down now to the foundation and that's where these values are coming from? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because when we then talked with them about, well, what kind of messages would you resonate with coming from politicians, people you know you can't trust? And there, there were certain things that they said uh, about the politicians themselves. It's like, well, you know, I can no longer take them at face value. Party identification doesn't mean that much to me. They're going to have to prove to me that they're people of character and that the kind of country that they want to build is the kind of country I want to be part of. So they're looking for things like stability and security and uh, national strength. They're looking for people in public office who are going to demonstrate common sense. But they're also saying at the same time that I'm going to expect more of our public leaders, I'm going to expect more of myself and my friends and neighbors and family. And what they were telling us there is, you know what, we've got to recalibrate how we yeah. live. And, I mean, and it, so the cuts, yep, go ahead. It almost sounds like the seeds of revival, uh, going back to what we know to be true from the past. I mean, it could this could be something much bigger. It could be. It'd be a backdoor revival where this is not being led by churches. No, I understand look- that. I understand. But these values emanate from who God created us to be. And, you know, each revival kind of comes from a different source. But, I mean, this is, I mean, we're going back to foundational things. This, If the faith component works its way into this, this could be explosive. Absolutely. And as Romans 2 tells us, you know, I mean, God has written these things on our heart. So, yes. I mean, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. And I think Americans now who tend not to be a reflective people, we tend to be a reactive people. We're people of achievement, not people of philosophy. And that's what made America great was the fact that people were willing to work hard. They were willing to take their ideas and pursue them. And they really wanted to show results for that that hard work. We believe in that as a nation. But as a result of that, we had to give up something to do that. And it was the ability to sit down and think carefully, clearly, and deeply about who we are and what we stand for. And so now we've had that opportunity to do that. And I think we've come back around to many of the kinds of values that the Bible says, this is what's going to make your life healthy. This is what will enable you to thrive. Well, George, I want to thank you for joining us. We're out of time. I, I, you know what? I need to set aside a whole hour to talk with you. I, I just find this stuff fascinating. I appreciate so much the work that you do. This is good stuff. Thanks for being with us on this Friday. Thank you, Tim. And, folks, thank you for being with us as well, and I hope you have a great weekend. But remember this. The Apostle Paul says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 